Welcome to episode 74 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is now a seasoned four-wheeler rider, John <laughs> Scott Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Well, we're recording on a Tuesday morning, and it's June 1st. Yeah. By, by the way, can we talk about 74 real quick? Just, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, how did we get here? <laughs> well, I mean, I think we've talked about this in the origin story, but uh, it, it is stunning that we are at 74 consecutive weeks of producing yeah. content. Yeah. We, Wild. We did not anticipate that. And I, I think, honestly, I, I think COVID made it happen. Yeah. I think this is this – is, I think we got to give credit where credit's due yeah. to yeah. the virus. Yeah. Well, some people might think that's a bad thing, that it's COVID's fault that we now produce weekly content, but – well, they don't have to listen. <laughs> That's right. It's a, it's a free country. You know, this is also a free product. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so if you don't like it, you're it's, not forced to it's listen. It's not free. It costs you and me money. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's true. This is a, this is a financially uh, uh, losing prospect for us. Yeah, maybe in the future we start a Patreon where people can pay to get yeah. subscriber-only episodes. There you I go. Don't know. But that would mean producing more content. Yes. Yeah, uh, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're ready for that. I'm not sure the world is ready for that. No. But in any case, um, it's good to be in the summer groove. Little, little different oh, vibe. Yeah. And uh, I'm in shorts. This is wonderful. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know what the uh, dress code is around here during the summer because faculty technically aren't even under contract. And yeah. I, I stress the word technically. technically. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, a little more casual vibe around the uh, around the building here, and also nice maskless. You know, we've lifted the mask mandate here yep. on campus, and so good to see that. And you also start to see some of the summer construction projects that uh, take place, like they're redoing a room across the hall here. And my guess is they're supposed to redo the door on the vault. Did you know this? Oh no, I didn't. That no. that's the plan. So I actually took some pictures this morning because we're still going to call it the Vault Studio. Yeah. Even after they put a normal door on it, but it's just going to be a regular. I think so. A regular wood door I, of some kind. I, I guess. Okay. I guess. I mean, I, apparently the equipment in here is not valuable enough to maintain hmm. the vault door. So interesting. In any case, if you'd like to connect with the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at V and S Pod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We do have a Facebook page. I'm not sure if John's able to monitor it anymore. Did you get into your – Nope, nope. Still, still, still haven't. I, now, I will say I haven't tried really hard because I, I didn't like Facebook to begin with. And really yeah. the only reason I was still on there was for the VNS pod. OK. Um, so the fact that it I got locked out and somebody stole my identity in, in some way on there, I'm just like, eh, whatever. Okay. I, I haven't gotten a new friend request from you, so I suppose that's a good sign, right? I mean, because oftentimes they'll, they'll, that, that can lead to spoofing accounts. And sure, sure. I just wonder what they're going to do with me. I don't you know? know. I don't know. Um, and uh, we also are on YouTube. You can find us, uh, Various and Sundry Podcast, on YouTube. And um, we would love for you to go ahead and leave us uh, a glowing review and five-star rating mm -hmm. on whatever platform you access the show. 
One other bit of housekeeping before we dive into the world of sports. We wanted to remind you that we are reading through Jonathan Pennington's book, Jesus the Great Philosopher. That's our summer read, and we will have a link in the show notes for you to find that on Amazon Mm -hmm. where you can purchase it. And uh, starting next week, we will read uh, and discuss the first three chapters of that book. Yep. And I'll just reiterate, um, even if you're not – even if you're someone who's like, ooh, philosophy, I don't know if that's my jam – it's it's well written. It's accessible. Yeah, and absolutely. There's tons of um, cultural references. It like it, it it feels like a conversation mm-hmm. that you're having with with him. So, and we have uh, locked him in for an interview. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. we will um, at the very end of our series of episodes that talk about uh, this book. We will have a full length episode where we interview Jonathan and talk about that book, but also some of the other things that he's, uh, written and interested in. So, uh, heads up on that one next week. We need to ask him about, uh, theologians and cars getting coffee or whatever his YouTube show is. Yes. Yes. We will do that. We will definitely do that. So on to the world of sports. It seems like, uh, NBA playoffs are kind of consuming most of the, um, oxygen of the sports world. I know that there was uh, – where are we at in the NHL playoffs? Did they – That's a great question. I think there was a series that just ended. Um, I know Penguins but, uh, Penguins Islanders just ended. OK. Yeah. But I, I just I, don't follow it, so I don't – My family does. I'll get, I'll get there you garbage go. from them for, there for you not go. following it. But. All right. So NBA playoffs, um, I think it's been a pretty good first round, pretty interesting um, – this year feels so wide open. Lakers and Suns are tied at two games apiece. And now with Anthony Davis doubtful, I think, for game five because of yeah. a groin injury, like that that series is at the tipping point where the Suns could go ahead and, and continue to win that. It's a weird dynamic because the Suns are the two, the Lakers are the seven. But the favorite. <laughs> but the Lakers, if healthy, would be the favorite. Mm-hmm. So that's just the question there. Um the Jazz are now up 3-1 on the Grizzlies despite my young son's prediction before game one that the Grizzlies would win this series. Hmm. Um, he's uh, having to uh, backpedal a bit from that. And uh, Clippers and Mavs tied at two. That's a strange series. The home team has not won a game. Hmm. Interesting. Mavs won the first two games in Los Angeles. Clippers have won the two games in Dallas. Um. Let's see here. Nuggets and Blazers tied at two. That's a really good series. The Bucks swept the Heat. Sixers lead the Wizards three one. Nets over the Celtics three one. Did, at this did you point. see? Did you see Kyrie Irving stomped on a leprechaun? Uh, yeah, and then at, got at the a water bottle thrown at him. Yeah, and I I think I heard they're charging the guy that threw the water bottle at him with some sort of like felony assault. Really, which feels a bit heavy to me. Like absolutely charge the guy with. Like some sort of crime. Like I, that's a you need to deter that kind of idiotic. Yeah, behavior. yeah, I I agree. I, you got to do something to the fans. But a felony. But a felony seems a bit heavy-handed. My guess is that gets pled down to some sort of dis- misdemeanor and sure. you know two thousand hours of community service and probation for a couple of years or something. But uh, I'm glad that I mean there's been a spike with fans returning to the arena of um, of abuse directed towards players. Almost exclusively verbal abuse, but this sure. was 
sort of uh, the next step of like this is getting serious. They need to do something. Well, about and, it. and Russell Westbrook got a, a tub popcorn. of popcorn thrown on him as, right. he, as he was leaving. Yeah. That feels that feels pretty standard. And you know, like like I remember seeing images of guys leaving the tunnel and just yeah. raining down. Now the difference is he was injured, coming off the floor. Uh, yeah. uh, pretty frustrated. Total, totally classless. Um, yeah. And then, and then Trey Young in the Garden got uh, got spit on. Uh, yes, and uh, I think the NBA also is trying to crack down on some of the chants directed towards uh, Trey Young as well. When you have the New York Knicks fans essentially chanting "F Trey Young," ah, <laughs> that, now, that, now, that, that's apparently a, a little far beyond did, what the NBA is willing to. I did not hear that one. I heard the uh, and he's going bald. That he's going one. bald. I yeah. thought that was fun. Well, I think that was more of a oh we. Like I think we're getting pushed back for the F. Trey Young chance, and yeah. so now it's well, we can just make fun of his hair. That seems within the boundaries <laughs> of, of 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 yeah. That that sounds like fun to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, let's talk a little about your your Knicks. They're down three one. Yeah, I, I think I'm fearful they peaked uh, a little early in in the season. So. Uh, when they were winning eight, nine, ten games in a row, mm-hmm. they were they were playing really well, really good basketball, and it feels like it feels like the book's out on them a little bit. That you gotta you gotta shut down Julius Randle, and then just sort of slow down Derrick Rose. And if you do that, no one else can really score. Right. And I think, and this is part of the difference between playoff basketball and regular season basketball. Mm-hmm. When you can lock in on a particular opponent and not you know because in the regular season it's like you got. You know, you're playing the Sixers one night, and then the next night you're playing the Wizards. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're you're talking through different defensive adjustments and key players that you have to. But when it's the same team, yeah, you, you can sort of figure the other team out a little bit more clearly. And it seems like the Hawks have kind of figured out the Knicks that they really can't score. That if Randall's not playing yeah. well, um, they're going to struggle to score. And if you're counting on a you know, a 47-year-old Derrick Rose, I know he's not 47, but he sure. feels like it, that, uh, to carry you, that's not a recipe for success in the playoffs. Yeah, and R.J. Barrett's been really disappointing because uh, it feels like he's the second option, right? Mm-hmm. You, you go to him to get 20, 25 points a game off of Randall, and he just has gone gone cold and uh, seems to have shied away from that spotlight a little bit. Well, besides Randall and Rose— it does feel like a young team, mm-hmm. you know. R.J. Barrett, um, Bullock, uh, quickly, like all those guys are young in yep. the league, less than a, you know three years kind of thing, and all of them in the playoffs for the first time. So they're just they're just figuring things out when it comes to what playoffs are like. But uh, yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how that develops, and then of course uh, we better check in with your beloved. New York Mets. Yeah, they're on a they're on a West Coast swing right now, so the games aren't starting till nine forty five at night, which is like two hours past your bedtime. Uh, I stayed up to about ten thirty last night watching the game, but I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, <laughs> but they're getting healthy, so uh, they no longer have uh, guys who are hitless in their MLB career in the lineup. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, and uh, so they're getting healthy. Uh, their bats are waking up a little bit. Uh, and they're first place in the NIL East, two and a half games, three games, something something like that. So, but didn't uh, 
Syndergaard just went on the DL, did he not? Yes. Uh, well, he had been on the 60-day uh, because because uh, he's coming off Tommy John surgery. And in a rehab assignment where he's supposed to go four innings, he only went one inning and uh, had some elbow pain. Okay. And uh, so they shut him down in hopes of preserving that arm. But it creates an interesting scenario because he's a free agent this year. Uh, and so he's probably not going to play till September. Yeah. You know, and, and what does that mean for his offseason? You know, do they sign him? Do they not sign him? Yeah. It, it, it's fascinating. Yes. So um, that is the world of sports. I don't know if you have anything else you, that you wanted to add in that. Um, the Aaron Rodgers saga is, yeah, that's is, true. Per, is pretty interesting up in Green Bay right now. Yeah, both sides seem pretty entrenched from what I can gather, right? Like the the GM of the Packers is like, we are not trading Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers seems pretty adamant of, um, I don't want to play for you anymore. <laughs> or, or he's told the organization, fire the GM. Yeah. And uh, I think they have gone, we're not doing that. Um, the other the other interesting thing in football, and I realize this isn't on our rundown and off topic, but uh, is uh, did you see uh, – I believe it's Shannon Sharp uh, on uh, arguing with Skip Bayless, right? Mm -hmm. uh, called Julio Jones and asked him, "Yes, <laughs> do you want to be traded? Do you, do you want to leave Atlanta?" And he's like, "Oh heck yeah, I want to leave Atlanta. Yeah, I want to get out of here. This has been terrible." Yeah, and he goes, "Oh, by the way, you're on the air." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, in, in a sports media degree track at a university. Is there an ethics course on, on what you do in, in, in media and where does that land? Um, yeah, my understanding is that that's basically like the first the first words out of your mouth of after like, hey, good to, see, good to hear from you, Julio. You're on the air. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's sort of uh, sports journalism 101. Even just even just sort of broadcast journalism 101 um, that you are required to – you know, let someone know you're on the air. <laughs> that, so, was, that was a wild situation. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's all that, – that's football right now. Yeah. Drama. I mean, well, and there's – you know, there's OTA stuff and – but um, on the college football front, they just ended the recruiting dead period, meaning that – you can only recruit the dead. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so starting back in March of last year, campus visits were prohibited as part of the recruiting process. Hmm. So now with COVID on the major decline, they have uh, – starting June 1st today, uh, college colleges are allowed to host prospective athletes hmm. officially on campus. I mean – Athletes could come in unofficially, but there are all different sorts of rules for unofficial visits versus official visits. And there's um, movement in the NCAA towards um, name, image, and likeness legislation. Have you heard about this? Uh, yes. I know there's been some laws passed. Yes. So I know this wasn't on the rundown either, but basically what's, <laughs> what's, what's going on here is that there's a, a number of states now that have passed laws that allow college athletes in their state mm -hmm. to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. Meaning that if you go to a, uh, you know, if you buy a jersey of your favorite uh, Ohio State football player, before 
uh, that athlete did not get a single dime from that sale. So if you went to the to a store and bought a Justin Fields jersey mm-hmm. that even you know has his number and his name on the back of it, Justin Fields got zero for that jersey sale. Which is ridiculous. Which is absurd. Yeah. And so a number of states have passed individual legislation, which is beginning to cause some chaos because you've got these varying rules across the NCAA. But part of what is motivating this is to force the NCAA to come up with a policy that actually allows athletes mm-hmm. to profit off of their name, image, or likeness. Yeah. So um, it be interesting to see how that develops. But um, on to our main topic. Yeah. Not name, image, and likeness legislation. No. Something quite different. Something something quite different. But something consistent with our various and sundry interests. What are we talking about today, John? Uh, Evangelism. Uh, Okay. Yeah, evangelism. Uh, Doc, we talked about this topic. Gosh, when do we do our – we have regular meetings probably quarterly to determine topics. Um, Why did we choose this one? Um, I think you chose it, didn't you? Here's how these meetings go. <laughs> a little peek behind the curtain yeah, here. Yeah. As we come together and go, what are we gonna th- what are we gonna talk about? And I throw out ten to fifteen ideas and you pick the seven best is usually how it goes. <laughs> right? Right? I'm just like, well, we could talk about this, this, this. One of them was evangelism. Why did that stick for you? Well, I think that it's one of those areas that is uh, often neglected Mm -hmm. in the life of the Christian and the life of the church. And I think it's something that is only getting more challenging as our culture changes here in the U.S. in particular, that it gets – it's getting more uh, difficult, I think, in some ways to – Share the gospel mm-hmm. in 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 more and more contexts. So. Would you is is that because of binary thinking? Like either either I am one hundred percent on board with you, or I disagree with you and hate you, sort of thinking. Or, or why is that? Well, I think um, I think one of the I think there's a couple things going on. There, there's there's cultural pressures, and then there are political pressures, and obviously, I think those often intertwine. Mm-hmm. But on the cultural front, obviously our culture is moving uh, further and further away from a um, from a biblical sexual morality. Mm-hmm. And among many in our culture, anyone who does not embrace the the new uh, perspective on essentially anything is permissible in the sexual realm as long as there's consent. If you're not embracing that, you're immediately labeled as a bigot. Mm-hmm. And and I think that has the effect of um, silencing or discouraging a number of believers from even raising the issue because the instant you start talking about that kind of thing, you know it's coming that you're going to be labeled a, a bigot mm-hmm. or intolerant or just so backwards. So I think that's the cultural pressure. I think the political pressure ends up being the fact that for a lot of people, when you start talking about um, being an evangelical, that that is so associated with a certain set of political convictions 
that it becomes challenging, I think, to navigate through that. And so there are plenty of Christians, I think, that don't want to necessarily be confused with even, you know, you're going to talk to me about Jesus. That means you must be one of these, you know, hardcore Trump supporters who's mm-hmm. buying into QAnon theories and have have left all rationality behind kind of thing. So I think uh, that's another sort of pressure that tends to silence Christians when it comes to the area of evangelism. Mm-hmm. In addition just to the normal sort of general cultural milieu that we live in that talking about religion is tricky. T- taboo. Yeah. And taboo and often not done in uh, polite society, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and beyond that, you know, it's just scary. <laughs> you know, um, it's – it's. yeah. Uh, I, I, re- I remember uh, speaking with a pastor in New York City and I was asking him, what's, what's evangelism like here? Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and goes um, – he goes, you know, it's really hard. And, and, and uh, this was, oh, goodness, this is when I was in seminary, so 2012. Um, mm-hmm. And he just he just said, and, and this always stuck with me, he goes, the gospel is offensive enough. I try to do everything I can to not be offensive Yeah, in, in any other way. He's like telling people that they're sinners and that they're going to hell is, is pretty offensive. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, I try not to offend them in any, in any other way. Yeah, and I think also this is – something that's been a reality for a little while now. But you know, you think of like the the track record of um scandals among, you know, well known TV evangelists that um that play into the charge of hypocrisy as sure. well as yeah. oh, all those people really want is my money. Mm-hmm. That's all they really want. Um so that plays into it as well. Sure. Where you're like, well oh, I don't want to be associated with that. Like I just want to tell you about Jesus, mm-hmm. but you're gonna you think I'm part of this you know sort of you know more crazed fringe of things. Yeah. So I think those are those are all sorts of uh, realities that that we face today in, in in terms of thinking about evangelism, let alone actually doing it. Sure, and and I, I think a response to a number of the things that you're saying is that Christians have really like fence themselves in at times in certain mm-hmm. parts of the country into their own little communities. And I think that makes evangelism hard because you don't don't see people that don't believe the same things you do for, for the most part. Right, which is I think just part of a larger cultural trend, mm-hmm. which has been noted yeah. on the political and cultural front of uh, people are more and more uh, grouping together in uh, in essentially what become echo chambers. Sure. And so they're not interacting with people that disagree with them. You know, mm-hmm. they live in areas where almost everyone around them thinks the same, believes the same, and they even end up working in places where that's the case oftentimes. And so I think that can be an, an issue when it comes to um, the difficulty where you don't even necessarily know what unbelievers really think. Mm-hmm. You, you might have ideas and caricatures based on portrayals in the media or social media. But do you know an act, do you know actual unbelievers and mm-hmm. have had substantive enough conversations where you go, oh, okay, n- now I understand what you think. Yeah, I think that's becoming less and less common. That so, there's the uh, the balkanization <laughs> of our culture. You familiar with that term? No. Oh well, I I think I understand what you're saying, but why don't you explain it for everybody else, and then I'll just sort of 
pick up and learn and say, I agree with you at the end okay. of it. Okay. Um, so th- that term came from um, probably originated maybe in the 90s when there's the part of Europe that used to be essentially Yugoslavia mm-hmm. and other other uh, countries where they, the, that, countries in that area begin to break up along different ethnic groups and start to form their own little countries and stuff like that. And so that term balkanization came to to represent a population that was breaking down into smaller and smaller interest groups or ethnic groups or religious groups and um, forming these sort of protected fortress kind of mentalities rather than uh, more broadly integrating within hmm. culture. Interesting. So I think that's happening especially – I mean today I think you hear the term tribalism a little bit more, which yeah. is kind of a similar idea of I just find who my people are and that's all I talk to and listen to and immerse myself in. Yeah. So. Yeah. All of which makes evangelism challenging. Yes, yes. Um Goodness, we've gotten off the rundown here uh, a little bit. Um, <laughs> what else is new? Yeah. Um, goodness, uh, I'm and I'm going to go further off the rundown here. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious in your experience. Yeah. Uh, you were with Crew uh, for, for a number of years, mm-hmm. and uh, for those of you that don't know Crew, they're on major college campuses. A group of people that are that are support raisers that basically do evangelism and discipleship on campus. Yep. Um, they do. They also do weekly meetings and all, all sorts of things. They're in the dorms doing discipleship. Probably yeah. not this last year, but most right. years. Yep. Um, and you did this for a number of years. Uh, evangelism is a major component of this. Uh, yes. And crew does get some criticism for method and different things like that out there. And I'm I'm curious, what was your experience like? Would you do it differently now? Would you do it the same now? Yeah, I think that. Um my own experience with crew. Now, again, I was on staff, so I was a student from '91 to '95, and then on staff on a college campus uh, until 2000. So basically, the the decade of the '90s, about a nine or ten year stretch there, mm-hmm. and uh, at Ohio University, so a big public secular university, and even uh, within the Midwest, a. a on the more liberal side of even you know secular universities, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it was referred to as the Berkeley of the Midwest and that kind of thing. So very liberal, but um, yeah. So I was uh, pretty regularly, especially when I was on staff, where I was doing uh, evangelism on essentially a daily basis of some kind, meeting meeting new students, sharing sharing the gospel with them. Um, and one of the primary tools that Campus Crusade, now known as Crew, is known for is the four spiritual laws, mm-hmm. uh, a gospel track that uh, uh, was created by Bill Bright, founder of the uh, of Crew, way back in the in the day, and uh, it lays out uh, a very simple gospel presentation: God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Man is sinful and um, has rebelled against God. Um, uh, <laughs> blanking on the spire. Uh, the third one is Jesus Christ basically has paid the penalty for sins. Mm-hmm. And the fourth spiritual law then is this. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so that's sort of the basic outline of a, of a gospel presentation. 
And and Crew was known for the four spiritual laws for decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was sort of like the uh, one of the leading gospel tools, gospel tracks that was used. And I think probably um, I don't know. About halfway through my time with Crew, I became less enamored with using that hmm. particular tool. Not that I think it's inherently bad, but I felt like our culture had changed enough that the four spiritual laws worked in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s because there was still, in in general terms, a broadly shared Judeo-Christian framework slash worldview-ish Mm-hmm. That when you said God, everybody pretty much assumed you meant the Christian God. Sure. And when you started talking through the different pieces of that, there was enough of those remnants where you could kind of assume what that people understood what you meant when you said God or you know, you've talked about Jesus or sin and those kinds of things. But by the time I was about halfway through my time with crew, I just began to, to to notice how much additional explaining I was having to do hmm. when I would say God loves you. Who is this God? How do we how do we you know because everyone has their own sort of notions of what God? Oh, God's just like this kind grandpa figure who yeah. just loves everybody, doesn't care about sin. Like no 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 no, that's not the case. So I, I began to have to do so much explanation that eventually I just sort of abandoned it. Hmm. And started sharing the gospel a little bit differently, more in a conversational style. I had a diagram that I uh, I would use where I would just take a piece of paper and sort of draw out um, the gospel, starting starting in Genesis one in terms hmm. of you know God created human beings, and then I'd sort of lay out here's a couple of key things you need to know about God. He's loving. He's just. You know, I gotta get that in there. You know? Yeah, yeah, those are important elements yeah. for sure. <laughs> and then he creates humanity, made in his image. What does that mean? Well, that means that we reflect him. It also means that we're accountable to him, mm-hmm. and he's our judge, and so we're accountable. And so just sort of building the blocks out for that, and uh, I found that to be a more engaging way to share the gospel, uh, rather than handing someone a booklet and say, "Can I read this to you?" Yeah. That just felt very artificial. Mm-hmm. And I think even today it feels even more artificial. Now, sure. I still think there's a place for tracks. Mm-hmm. I think they can be a, a helpful piece to leave with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they can have a place there. So those are some of the some of the things that uh, I began to change in terms of how I share the gospel. And, and even today, um, I would do it much more conversationally and then perhaps leave a track hmm. if, if – if, Depending on the context, if I'm going to have another follow-up conversation with that person, I I probably wouldn't. I'd probably just – I started doing more of the – if I could get someone where I thought I can meet with you again, I would say read John 1 or read like the first couple chapters of John. And then when we get back together, I'd love to hear your thoughts and talk about Jesus Hmm. and sort of build through that rather than uh, using tracks. Very cool. Um, Any – I think I think taking a conversational approach is a great tip. Um, any any other tips that you would you would uh, you would bring along with you? Well, I think that a lot depends on the context. Mm-hmm. If you're in a context where you know you're going to have an ongoing interaction with this person, 
you can afford to take a much more um, gradual and conversational approach. Sure. Where you're just trying to plant seeds, you know, and and maybe you're asking questions that you're hoping get that gets that person to think a little bit about some spiritual things or about uh, realities that you can then press a little bit and and be content with. Okay, we moved them. We moved a little bit further on the process mm-hmm. without feeling like I have to share the entirety of the gospel in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say. Uh, there are contexts where that is not only appropriate but, but necessary. Mm-hmm. If if you're in a context where you're having a gospel conversation with someone on an airplane, somewhere where you're like, we're never going to see each other again. Yeah, you know, I, I think there is a wisdom to trying to uh, to be able to say, let me just share with you the basics of what the gospel is, just mm-hmm. so that you understand where I'm coming from, and then give a very you know concise summary of of, of the gospel message. Um. And you just never know what 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 God's going to do through that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've found that necessary um, when I do travel and I'm in a coffee shop or something, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm reading my Bible or uh, reading a reading a book about Jesus, and, and somebody sees it and wants to strike up a conversation. You know, we 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 go there. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, I think I'm much more likely to take the conversational long term game with uh, with somebody and just sort of. Mm-hmm. Get to know them, invite them to church, have conversations with them, ask probing questions, see if they yep. buy, and you know, play play a bit of the long game and see what happens over uh, the weeks, months, yep. years, even. Yep. My only my only caution in that is um, to make sure you still need to you still need to be intentional. Yes. That sometimes I've seen people who are saying they're doing that. Yes. But they're just hanging out with someone Mm -hmm. and they're so concerned about putting any sort of strain on that new relationship that they're afraid to talk about Jesus or to ask any sort of like spiritual questions or maybe Mm -hmm. it got shot down the first time you raised it. And so uh, there still needs to be an intentionality there uh, when you do that. I think the other thing that you mentioned in there that I would say is so important and might be the most – to me this – it's certainly one of the most important things that I would tell people in regards to evangelism is ask questions. Yeah. Ask questions that get people to think about spiritual realities. Mm -hmm. And in particular, ask questions that can expose the flaws Mm -hmm. in their worldview that make them realize, I thought this, but now that you ask that question, I realize that doesn't make good sense of my experience or the world around me. So, you, so I, I think too often people can get so, um, so focused on I got to have all the answers mm-hmm. to tough questions that might get thrown at me, rather than thinking about what are some good questions that I can ask that get people thinking about spiritual things. And I think when you do that, it you know actually produces conversations mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than just straight presentations. Yeah, and in any good friendship uh, or any good conversation, the turn, you know, going, you know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that is always acceptable. Yes. And I would I would point out that from my experience with crew, one of the things I learned over time was that um, while sometimes 
people have legitimate questions that are barriers to them coming to the point of saving faith. Other times, those are smoke screens. Mm-hmm. It's the, I don't necessarily want to talk about this, so well, what about evolution? Okay, so you give your little standard answer to that, and it's like, okay, well, what about the Bible? You know, And they just keep throwing <laughs> these bombs at you of like, well, what about this? What about this? And so one of the, one of the questions I learned to ask was when I sensed this was happening was to say, um, I, I, I'm willing to answer your questions. I'm not trying to, to, to deflect here. But let me ask you a, a, an important question first. If I'm let's let's hypothetically say I'm able to satisfactorily answer all your questions mm-hmm. about these things, will you commit your life to following Jesus at that point? And if the person says, "I, I think I think I probably would," then you're like, "Okay, well let's let's, let's let, go let's there. go let's yeah. talk about these you know stumbling blocks that you're running into." But more often than not, the answer was probably not. Mm-hmm. Well, why is that? Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. And, That's far more interesting. And 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 ninety eight times out of a hundred, it was clearly a. It, it was one of those things where it's like I realize that in order for me to follow Jesus, I have to give up this part of my life that I really value. Yeah, a relationship or some sort of sin or something that someone realizes. And I say, well, that's the issue we got to talk about. Yeah. Like all this other stuff is window dressing. Mm-hmm. This is important because that's what's keeping you from following Jesus. Let's talk about why you think that relationship is so important or 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 whatever that, that issue is that's keeping you from following Jesus. Yeah. No, that's a good word. Um, anything else, Doc, before I push this on the resources? Um, I, I think there is a value in – um, you know, sort of uh, studying up on apologetics, having some de- some basic answers to common questions that you get asked oftentimes. Um, but don't think that you have to have those in place in order to faithfully share the gospel. Yeah, apologetics is not evangelism. It's not, yeah. and it can be a great help and it a can. great supplement. Yep. But the goal is to help people see the gospel clearly. And sometimes I think we can get so fired up about apologetics that we get more concerned about winning arguments than we are about actually um, leading people to see Jesus more clearly. So – and and oftentimes just having a basic understanding, a summary of the gospel in your head and sharing how Jesus has changed your life. Mm -hmm. Those are great tools to have in place. and being willing to – I'm glad I started doing this later in my crew days. If you can get someone to agree to read the Bible with you, let the Bible do the work. Mm-hmm. It's God's word. It's inspired by the spirit. Like if you can get someone to, to agree like, hey, let's meet next week for coffee. And in that, in the meantime, why don't you read like the first couple chapters of John's gospel and we'll come back and we'll talk. Yeah. What are you seeing about Jesus? What's he doing? Who is he? Like – if you can start doing that, let God's word do God's work. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think sometimes we undervalue the power of God's word in those kind of contexts. Absolutely, good word. Uh, any potential resources that you would uh, that you would recommend? Yep, got a few. Um, the 
The first one that I want to highlight is uh, a book by my friend Randy Newman. Great guy. He wrote a book. He, he was on staff with crew for, goodness, at least probably 25 plus years. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called Questioning Evangelism. Now, he's not you know, raising questions about evangelism. Sure. He's saying use questions to share the gospel. And so it just came out in a second edition. It's called Questioning Evangelism, Engaging People's Hearts the Way Jesus Did. And he even demonstrates how Jesus himself asked questions in the context of sharing the gospel. He wrote a second book entitled Corner Conversations that kind of gives some uh, sample dialogues Mm. that he – that are sort of based on his own experiences in doing evangelism. That could be super helpful as well. And then um, the other one on the more mechanics of it is Mark Dever's book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. Anything else? I've got a couple more down there. but um, Yeah, I read a book a couple years ago uh, called Fool's Talk by Oz Guinness, uh, and it was Recovering the Art of Christian Persuasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was uh, – uh, how do, how do we um, go about persuading individuals yeah. um, about the gospel? And that was, I, I found that really helpful. Yeah. Well, it's getting away from us here in terms it of time. It is. It is. So we need to move on to uh, athletes. Yeah. Let me, let me blitz through them real quick. Uh, Bruce Matthews. Are you familiar with him? Nope. Legendary uh, offensive lineman for the Oilers. Yes, the Houston Oilers, the precursor to the Titans. And he played for both teams, right? Uh, yes. Did they switch over 98? I forget what year that was, okay. but maybe earlier than that. But uh, 14 Pro Bowls. Um, and I think – I can't remember how he's related. He's related to Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews is oh. either his – I don't know if it's his son, but maybe a nephew. Okay. Um, Merlin Olson. Probably not familiar with him. No, 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 not at all. Defensive tackle for the Rams in the 60s and 70s. Actually probably became more well-known for being a broadcaster and hmm. dabbled in acting. He he was paired with uh, Dick Enberg in the broadcast booth okay. for years. Hmm. Again, before your time. Uh, Kenley Jansen. Uh, I know this one. Okay. Uh, he, I didn't. Okay, okay. He He's a closer for uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, quite good um, on my fantasy team this year also. Okay. I will, I will mention. We've got two Ohio State athletes. John Hicks played uh, offensive guard for the Buckeyes from 70 to 73, won the Lombardi Award, and was the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. Not often you get an offensive lineman who finishes second, hmm. let alone wins it. So, uh, And then uh, Kirk Barton was a, an offensive tackle from 2003 to 2007, was on their national championship team uh, during that window as well. Uh, I'm sorry. No, actually, he missed. He would have missed that national championship. He was play. I think he played in two national championship games and, and lost. But in any case, uh, who do you like? Um, I'd probably go Bruce Matthews or Kenley Jansen would probably be my choices. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go outside the box here and go with Kenley because we've, we've we've been so offensive line heavy. A pitcher feels nice. A pitcher, you know. So. Yeah, he's getting up there in his career. He's had he's had a good career. Okay. One thing you liked? Yeah. So uh, this weekend uh, in the midst of yard work, I devoured the uh, Athletics new podcast called Shattered, uh, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks. Um, Okay. So it begins with like a, what were the 90s like for the Knicks? 
Okay, what was it like when James Dolan bought them in 1999? <laughs> and then what happened in the next 20 years? Yeah. Um, and it's it's fascinating. I mean, oh my goodness. Probably a cathartic experience for you. Oh my goodness. Uh, really, it's about how did James Dolan ruin everything? Okay. Um, and it's uh, awesome. Okay. Um, it comes out in there that he does not like computer passwords. And so he has MSG uh, set up so that he never has to enter a password. Um, And they've been hit with a few ransomware uh, style things (laughs) through the owner. Yeah. So like his various houses in the Hamptons, Manhattan, all all these areas. um, He doesn't have to enter a password from those IP addresses. And so guys go in and hack that IP address and break into MSG. Wild. Yeah. It's worth a listen. Sometimes people who are that wealthy are surprisingly dumb. Oh, James James Dolan, they also had – when the stuff was going down with Isaiah Thomas, Mm -hmm. uh, he went in to give a deposition with zero prep. And they asked him just – they asked him just like, did you prepare for this? No, not at all. (laughs) That's quite an organization they're running there. You need to go listen to it. (laughs) I'm not a Knicks fan. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it does. The anthropology of James Dolan alone is fascinating. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, my one thing I liked this week was I finished a book by Frederick Backman called A Man Called Ove. Mm. It was delightful. And um, he's a Swedish author and he uh, – the basic premise of the book is Ove is this crotchety old curmudgeon. Mm-hmm. Who is just? It's written very well in terms of describing a curmudgeon, and um, I'm not going to give too much away. But basically, uh, his wife dies, and he's just lost. He's just doesn't know what to do with himself, and so he decides that he's going to kill himself. Hmm. But every time he goes to try to kill himself, his younger neighbors around him like barge into his life and are in desperate need of some kind of help, like a trip hmm. to the hospital or to fix something. And he has such this sense of of duty to help people, even as he's think even as he's basically saying, You guys are idiots. <laughs> uh, and so it's 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 actually pretty heartwarming the sort of transformation that happens in hmm. Ove's life. It's also been made into a movie in Sweden. So it has uh, subtitles. But here in the U.S., they're actually going to make a version of it, and Tom Hanks is directing and I believe starring in it. It's hmm. a production now. So, very a cool. Man called Ove. That's my one thing I liked this week. So we have talked sports. We've talked your beloved Knicks, the Mets, NBA playoffs. We've talked about evangelism, asking good questions in evangelism, and. Um, why it's necessary to do evangelism, why it's challenging to do it. We have mentioned several athletes that you've not heard heard of before and then chosen the one that you have heard of. Yep, that's right. And we've talked about uh, James Dolan's uh, fascinating anthropology. Oh, my gosh, yes. So I think um, – you ready to call Mission Accomplished here? I think so, yeah. Just a reminder before we close the, close the pod down, um, next week we will start our discussion of Jonathan Pennington's book – Uh, Jesus, the great philosopher. So make sure you pick up a copy of that, read the first three chapters, and listen in. 
But uh, with that said, I think we're at a point where all that is left to say is the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.